Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. And together we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. Today we are discussing Pixar's latest, Lightyear. And we're also going to provide our top three Pixar movies. I would like to, and I think you guys would like to do a whole series on Pixar at some point. There's so much to talk about. So if you as the listener are interested in that, you know, shout us out some way. Um, all our all our socials are in the description. Our email, silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. So if you're interested in that, shout us out. First, it's going to be our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week? I really didn't get to watch too much this week. I watched, uh, I did watch one movie though. And boy, uh, <laughs> a movie is a very, uh, very generous term for this. Hit us with it. Fateful Findings. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, you know, you know, because I mean, we've been toying with like doing like a bad movie series for a while. I'm like, oh, you know, this could be kind of cool. And I, we don't have anything formally planned yet, but I did want to check this one out. Because I know this was toward the top of the list of like the first ones we want to do, so I'm not going to touch too much on it because I do want to do a f- full like side series of just like bad movies at some point, like like cult bad movies like this one. Um, if you haven't heard of Neil Breen, just uh, just do a little Google research. He is he is an enigma wrapped inside of like another enigma <laughs> uh I, I i'm i might be mistaken but i'm pretty sure all of his films are self-funded correct fair, i believe that, so yeah <laughs> is that a fair assumption to have yeah um they're like they're this movie uh i'm trying to remember it's about this guy who it's it's kind of it's unclear yeah it's why don't you unclear. describe it for us try to try to summarize the movie <laughs> please please give us uh, this, this plot Without the council going, of ghosts off, <laughs> off, off the top of my head it's about a guy who he's like a a tech computer hack not well yeah computer hacker guy he like gets hit by a car and like somehow gets like it's it they were setting up like he had psychic powers at some point <laughs> Oh. But he's like a computer hacker, and he is like going in and stealing all of the government and corporate secrets of yeah. uh, unnamed governments and corporations. That's all accurate, yeah. And uh, he like, it's basically about that, but it's, I mean, the acting is just, just well the everything about it the acting the directing the scripting like just the set design like yeah but you can't you can't complain about those effects though those those are solid (laughs) those let me let me redact that those were effects there were there are effects in the movie i don't think there were (laughs) i mean he had the i mean you know when he was pushing the laptops off the table in that one scene, like the, he had like six laptops, and they were all the same model of laptop. I'm pretty sure they weren't actual laptops. <laughs> the same three books. Uh, my my description of this movie does not do enough justice to it. Um, do I recommend it? Uh, well, there is a certain crowd of people I know that I would recommend this to. You have to be a connoisseur of bad movies for sure to get enjoyment out of this but obviously it's like 
it's a it's it's the probably one of the few movies i've got so far on letterboxd well i think it's one of the first one star movies i've ever rated one star because i cannot justifiably give it more than one star really even for that gym scene you wouldn't give it more than one star but i mean on letterboxd you have the like the rating system and then you can check whether you liked it or not like a one star with a heart on letterboxd it's like it's a very unique experience (laughs) tyler you were in hyperspace this week so (laughs) You, you didn't get to watch anything, and it was only four minutes of real time yeah, for you. I was gone for four minutes, but it was four years. <laughs> I watched quite a few new things. I'll tell you about a couple of them, and then kind of roll some more of them out over the next couple of episodes. One thing I watched is the movie Spiderhead on Netflix. This is based on the short story Escape from Spiderhead by George Saunders. Um, and his really great short story collection, 10th of December. It's about prisoners who live in a more comfortable setting in exchange for being lab rats for a pharmaceutical developer. This is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who just did Top Gun Maverick, which has overtaken the the top box office spot for the year, uh, at least domestically. And this is written by Rhett Reese and Paul Vernick. I had very mixed feelings about this one. First of all, I have to say this. I have no idea why they changed the name of the film. The original story is called Escape from Spiderhead, and this is just called Spiderhead. If you were looking for people to like watch a thriller-esque movie, would you not want to keep the title Escape from Spiderhead? Isn't that no. a little more exciting than... Absolutely. Sp- I, I like- thought it was just a bad Spider-Man porno. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't really get that. Maybe there was some, I don't know. There was something going on there that probably I don't know about. Um, but it, it's a pretty good movie. There's a lot positive here. Chris Hemsworth is quite good. I think he's probably the best part of it. He plays the pharmaceutical developer. He completely undercuts like his usual charm, his usual gig by creating this character who seems like he's almost incapable of having a normal human relationship, which for somebody who looks like Chris Hemsworth is quite a feat. He adds all these little notes of like complication. It leaves you wondering more about his character. I wish we had gotten a little bit more of him. Uh, Journey Smollett's really good too. Miles Teller's pretty good. The script is quite a mixed job and could have used a lot of revision. It has a lot of some shining moments and there's some themes here, over-reliance on drugs to stabilize moods. One really interesting development that just like happens way too late in the film for it to be effective. Pacing is off and it just gets borderline silly at parts, especially at the end. Uh, ultimately, I thought this might work better as a short film. It kind of seemed like they were just extending things out sometimes just to like make the feature length. Um, or better yet, just read the short story because uh, that's a great short story. But the movie's not without its merits. I also watched Good Luck to You, Leo Gran. This one is on Hulu. Um, it's about a retired widow who hires a sex worker to help her live out her sexual fantasies that she was denied throughout the rest of her life. It's directed by Sophie Hyde, written by Katie Brand. There's a lot of good stuff here, a lot of good writing about sexual desire, about how shame and self-consciousness hold us back from certain aspects or things that we want in life, about the challenge of just general intimacy, even beyond like physicality. 
Emma Thompson is perfect, as she always is. Let's not take Emma Thompson for granted, because I love her. Uh, and Daryl McCormick, who is playing Leo Gran, the young sex worker, he's very charming, he's very sweet. This, this movie's funny at times. As a watching experience, it's a little bit slow. There are a couple of things that are maybe like a little bit underdeveloped. It is, you know, it very much seems like a COVID production. It's single location, at least for the most part. There's mostly only the two characters, except a couple of quick diversions. And while all the components are good, you know, it's a patient movie. It's not entirely propulsive, but it, it's very well done. I would recommend checking it out. Um, and then the last one I'll say is Jerry and Marge go large. Have you guys heard of this? I'm just curious if you've heard of yeah, it. I've heard of it. All right. So this is about a retired couple who discover a strategy to win a certain lottery game and they invite their small town family and friends in on the action directed by David Frankel. This is a guy who directed the devil wears Prada and Marley and me quick tangent. I love the movie Marley and Me. How do you guys feel about that one? Very indifferent. Oh, come on. I, I Haven't we talked about this before? I don't Have we? We might have. I can't remember. Um, it's fine. fine. I just remember thinking it was going to be like a stupid, oh, this dog's crazy movie. But it ends up being so much more than that. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. It, um, definitely. It hits home at the end there. Yeah, and I'm not like a dog movie kind of guy. Most of them are just kind of like show you a cute dog and then it dies or its owner dies or something. But I mean, no, Marley and Me's got a lot more. It's no Marmaduke, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this this movie, Jerry and Marge Go Large, written by Brad Copeland. Interestingly, this is based on a Huffington Post article by Jason Fagone which I've read, and it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's online if anybody's interested, and I would encourage people to check it out if you're looking for a fascinating read. But when I finished the article, I did not think to myself that the story screamed, this needs to be a movie. In fact, I said to myself, I don't see any reason for this to be a movie. Um, so, because there aren't, there aren't really stakes in the story, which is fine. I don't need like the world to be destroyed in every movie. I'm fine with movies that are like pretty have a pretty calm tone, but there's like not much dramatic here at all. And then the story just kind of ends, you know, which as things do in real life, it's a real life article. So when I heard about the movie, I'm like, oh, maybe they'll add a plot element to the story that maybe gives some motivation to the characters to make this money. And that's not the case at all. Um, this is the most okay, nice movie I have seen in quite a while. And I'm not trying to like be rude, but it is. It's not very entertaining, but it's fine. Brian Cranston and Annette Benning star, and they're fine. There's some shoehorn message about seeing people as people instead of just as numbers. It doesn't come out of nowhere, but it comes out of like part of nowhere the outskirts of nowhere uh this it felt very much what we used to think of as a tv movie if you guys know what i'm talking about i feel like that has kind of disappeared because i don't know like the line between tv and movie and streaming is so blurred and crazy nowadays but it was just like that like 
you knew where the commercial breaks were going to come in. There's nothing like untoward in this movie. The, you know, I won't go on about it, but Jerry and Marge go large. Can't say I recommend it. Can I, can I just ask the question? These yes. people were in Michigan, right? But they played the mass lottery. Yeah, because without getting too far into it, they the mat the Michigan State Lottery shut down the game that they were playing, or like changed oh, okay. the rules or something. But the game still existed in mostly the same form in Mass, so they would travel to Mass. Oh, I see. Okay. I uh, yeah. I do want to add one for myself that I forgot to mention. Um, All right. Which I I re- I just thought of it because I'm wearing the hat for it. I uh, I watched First Reformed. Sweet. From Paul Schrader. Um, I got to say the, I was about like, uh, like a three and a half out of five on that movie when I, when I first, uh, after my first initial viewing, but the more I thought about it, the more I really came to like, really think about how well made that movie was. Um, mm, I really enjoyed it. Ethan Hawke was fantastic. Amanda Seyfried, um, for those that don't know, it's it's basically about this uh, this pastor who works for like a I um like a tourist church in a, like a small town in New York, um adjacent to like a giant corporatized mega church, for profit mega church, um and it deals with him. So there's that going on. There's him trying to help this couple I, I can't remember if they're married at that point or not um i believe so because she's pregnant right the, yeah the the husband has been radicalized by like eco not not eco terrorist groups but like uh at eco activists like very involved eco activists um and in consulting with Ethan Hawke's character, Ethan Hawke's character slowly becomes more and more involved in his, uh, like the husband's, and his the husband and wife's like life. Basically, I don't know. I'm mm. doing a terrible job of describing it right now, but um, it's a it's a movie you just gotta kind of see for yourself. But it touches on a lot of like a lot of topical social issues, um, between the. Uh, hypocrisy of religion when it comes to these mega churches the fact that we're basically ravaging the planet and no one cares and it also is like existentially just depressing to think about that and bringing a child into this world when we're on the brink of collapse and like ethan Hawke's character like sort of struggling to find find some sort of like hope amongst all of it yeah and it never feels like they don't the themes just don't feel like forced into there no it's like an interesting story and you catch them as you go along yeah it like it felt very like genuine and i i I mean i thought the writing was good the acting was good and directing like paul schrader is another one i think he's kind of an enigma of a person but yeah (laughs) um, he's always fascinating still definitely a full recommend yeah, I like that one a lot, and that's just in time for us to get another Ethan Hawke performance in the Black Phone. So stick tuned for our stay tuned for our episode on that. 
All right, we're going to move now to Pixar's latest in Lightyear. They already had Turning Red this year, but now they're putting out sort of their, you know, a lot of people have discussed, and it does seem that way, that when they put out two films a year, one is kind of like the original thing, and one is like the moneymaker lately. Um, that, not that those are always mutually exclusive, but um, it sometimes seems that way. And so we get Lightyear. This is, for anybody who's still confused... This is the movie that Andy, uh, the original boy in Toy Story, this is the movie that he saw that made him want a Buzz Lightyear toy. Now, we're going to talk about whether that actually makes any sort of sense whatsoever. Wait, so you're, um, but, you're saying it's not the guy who the toy was based on? Like, it wasn't a real guy? No. The Chris Evans tweet of, like, this was the real guy <laughs> turns out not to be correct, which... It's it's pretty bad when your lead actor doesn't even know. What yeah. Do you think somebody called up Chris and they're like, "Hey, Chris, love you, loved working with you, you're the best man," but uh, that's not quite true. As, as far as I'm aware, that tweet is still up. So he never like fixed that. He never deleted it. He just kind of kept that there. So I think they were were like, "What's this gonna be?" And there are situations like that where. I really wish Twitter had an edit tweet button. Cause my, yeah. Especially because my tweets have just become more and more illiterate by the day. I, I wish they had that as well. But could it be possible that they're both correct and that the movie that Andy saw is a biopic of a real intergalactic traveler? So you're telling me they had all this technology by 1995? <laughs> This movie doesn't make sense as a 1995 mainstream children's movie, but we, we can get into but, that. So they had that technology, but then it got stuck on a planet, so they <laughs> lost <laughs> it to that planet. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, this is directed by Angus McLean, who previously co-directed Finding Dory. I like Finding Dory. I think it's one of the better uh, Pixar sequels. Written by McLean and Jason Headley. Matt, what did you think of Lightyear, or would you recommend it to people? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to give a little bit of credit here. I mean, I, I loved the premise. It should have been a knockout for me. Um, I thought, like, the voice acting and, like, the premise was fine. The concept was fine. But I just think it was just very bland, uninteresting for a lot of the time. That said, like, I, so first of all, I could barely stay awake during this movie that's how bland it was to me and uninteresting it was to me for large portions of it in all fairness i had consumed quite a bit of pizza and <laughs> um beer no i didn't have beer that night i had consumed quite a bit of pizza my allergies were acting up so like my head was all congested and i just like the the odds were against me staying awake regardless in a dark theater for this movie but <laughs> but um even take that aside just it was just very very eh, it was fine harmless uh, but not nearly what i feel like they as good as i feel like it could have been would i recommend it yeah i i would say go and make your own opinion on it it wasn't like unwatchable, but I just feel like it was kind of a squandered concept a bit, especially for someone like me who 
grew up with the Toy Story movies. That being said, also, I, I guess I have to come to accept at some point I might not be the intended audience of this movie. Yeah, movies like fair. this, so I can't be too hard on it. Tyler, what'd you think? So I want to touch on that, Matt. I was about to say that, and you brought it up, so I'm glad. I don't know who the intended audience for this movie was. <laughs> it wasn't kids. This isn't a good kids movie. Like it, it's slow paced. It's it's not very visually cool. Like like when you took the um, the concept of Buzz Lightyear, which you know he's this over the top action hero almost for the toy in Toy Story, and you give him this horrible like kind of realistic like drab planet stuck on one planet story where like you know you could have done anything with it and you're like oh he faces some big bugs and uh some dumb robots like it it was such a wasted opportunity and it's so bizarre to think this is a movie that a kid watched in 1995 and was like oh yeah this is i love this like buzz was probably the worst character in this movie uh, so, like, I don't understand yeah. how he came away loving Buzz from this. He was so bland. Chris Evans did fine. But, like, and I I mean, I, I wasn't even that mad at this movie when I came out. But after thinking about it, I'm like, what was this? Like, I don't know who this was for. It's not for kids. It's not for, clearly not for fans of the original. Like, it's, it barely touches on it. It seems like a completely different character. It, mm. But, like, I just, it, it feels so odd that they made this now. At, like, especially now. But I just don't understand why they made it so drab and boring when they could have done anything with this. That you have a space ranger and you're going to ground him on this boring planet with, like, the dumbest enemies imaginable. And that's that's your plan? Like, I just don't understand the thought process behind it at all. And, mm. like, I, I don't even know. Like, I, I'm flabbergasted that this was the final product. I, um... I, I wasn't really a fan of the castration scene either, to be honest. When they, <laughs> when they castrated him. Uh, yeah, you know, Buzz didn't deserve that. No, he did not. Patricia Heaton uh, was right. <laughs> Love Patricia Heaton. But, I yeah, I have to agree with you guys. It's a well-done movie. Like, I do think people, kids will enjoy this. Like, as a, like you sit for two hours and you're like, all right, and then you leave. Um, but like you said, it's, it's totally bland. The, the beginning's pretty good. And then it just really, really craps out. I think I wasn't excited at all during this. Um, it, it felt both rushed and slow at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like it was just like the baseline of what they could have made it. Like you were saying, Tyler, you have this hero who's an intergalactic traveler and you're just kind of like on one bland setting and you know they did some interesting things with it but it's like i wanted a little more design and imagination here that we just didn't really get uh all the arcs were pretty predictable you knew the lessons that buzz was gonna have to learn and the one that isn't predictable just comes way out of left field and you just go oh this just doesn't really feel like it fits at all I will say the animation looked incredible in many scenes. Yeah, I, I think Pixar gets better most every time that they make something. But, um, you know, some of the humor is okay. Again, it's just about as minimal as they could have made it. I, like I said, I think kids will like this. But, you know, for forgive me for being uh, 
overly pretentious about Pixar movies, but I do think this is just lacks the soul that the Toy Story movies had and that most Pixar movies had. I don't need this to be the deepest thing that Pixar has done because this is the movie that, you know, 10-year-old Andy loved as a kid, but it's it's just not much fun. I know some people who do think that it had, was, but I, I didn't think so. That That's the thing. If this is the movie 10-year-old Andy loved as a kid, this movie should have been so fun. Yeah. <laughs> It's not. It does not seem like a movie that would have been out in 1995 in any way. It's a very no. late 20 or very late 2000 or 2010s or 2020s blockbuster, which yeah, was just a Disney, weird choice. Do you think Disney would have allowed a gay couple in a movie in 1995? No, which is one of those things that like it, it that wouldn't have happened in 95 most likely, but like. I don't think that should have stopped this movie from doing it. It just the internal logic no. is, and there are, there are other more glaring and things not, that. And I'm not saying that in, in like it shouldn't have been there or nothing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just like you know. Yeah. Like I, um, I think that was one of the most muted same-sex couple scenes I've seen in movies in quite a while too. So it's amazing that people are freaking out about it. Well, that seems to be Disney's mo is just like <laughs> really? mute you any of that sort of thing um and then people you, you can get out of here if you're have a problem with that well but. not only do they mute it they love to they love to like parrot it as like how great they are like uh yeah we have our first gay character in it the was. mcu and it's just a guy like was i was Joe on a date russo. with a man and that's like his only line in the movie <laughs> like, wasn't that so one of the russo brothers that was that was one of the yeah. russo brothers but yeah, like yeah. that's Disney's thing. Not just they, people, they barely include it, and countries. people still get mad. Like they're doing, they're doing the bare minimum, and people are flipping it's so out. Dumb. Like, yeah, I I don't get it. Yeah, it's a little a little ridiculous. It's not even a little. It's it's very ridiculous. Yeah, I I agree. Um, the characters in this, I you know, Chris Evans as Buzz. Again, it was fine. I frankly prefer Tim Allen. I mean, probably just because I grew up with that. But what's another another interesting thing is that Chris Evans would have been the performer for Buzz Lightyear in the universe, but then they would have downgraded to whoever Tim Allen is to do the voice for the toy. Yeah. <laughs> and Andy it, didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, Kiki Palmer, I thought, did a very good job as Izzy Hawthorne. Also, you know how they did the intro before the movie of, like, Chris Evans is up there, Kiki Palmer's up there, they're like, we did it, it's Buzz Lightyear. I thought she did the best job of anybody I've ever seen as far as, like, giving actual enthusiasm (laughs) in the intro. Because often the performance, you know, and I'm not blaming them, but often, like, they've just done a 17-hour day and they've been working on something for four months and they're like... Yeah, come see Jurassic World Dominion. It's really cool. But she was given the energy. I really liked it. Um, Uso Aduba as Alicia, who is Buzz's like best friend and partner, she was like my favorite character. Um, and I won't go into her, her arc now, but that was a bit of a letdown for me. Okay. I understand why it was necessary, but that was a bit of a letdown. Um, Socks, the cat, the robot cat really just seemed engineered to be a lovable character. Yeah, he was just a marketing <laughs> I did it for him. Thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is, I mean, he, he has some of the funniest lines in the movie. He's really great, so that was good. Yeah. Um, like I said, the animation, you know what I really noticed was the lighting on certain things, whether it be in the ship or on the planet, just the way things were lit in this animated world. I'm like, this is incredible. Uh, also, there's at one point where um, Buzz gets a little, like, beat up, and on his face, there are, like, different scratches and different parts are blushed or scraped in different ways. And I was like, wow, that, that's really good. That's very impressive. There's a cool time elapse um, thing where they're, like, building up a makeshift civilization. And then the capture cones that are, like, these big cones that are, like, little prison cells. I thought that looked cool. Um, in a movie that I wasn't super impressed with, those were the small details that I was like, wow, they're, they're up in their game with these things. Um, so as far as the 95 of it all, or 93, 4, whenever this would have come out, you guys think Andy would have actually liked this? No, No, not at all. I I don't think so. Not at all? Not at all. I mean, come on. There were some blasters. There's robots. He would have liked it a little bit. A 10-year-old would have been into this. So one thing that bothered me about this continuity is that Zerg looks different than his toy looks in the original Toy Story movies. Why would they have a character look one way in the movie and then he looks different, arguably better, as a toy? So that's where it would have made more sense if it was an actual guy up there. Because you're going by like his first-hand account. Like he's, account. he's trying to describe what Zerg looked like. So they made him into a toy and that would account for the look difference, maybe. I don't know what you like, mean. This like if it was actually if it was like an actual guy that the movie was based on or, well no that wouldn't still wouldn't make sense then i don't know everyone could see the movie they could make yeah, the toy to look like the movie i'm saying if, if, if i'm saying if this movie was about if this movie was actually about the guy who went up like a guy an actual guy that went up to space yeah, but it doesn't Zerg matter because they had the movie. Zerg. He came yeah. back down. Zerg's not there. He's just trying to describe. So, so you're saying like. the toy was based off the real guy's appearance, but the movie used a different appearance. And the toy was just not based on the movie. <laughs> it doesn't like they have the movie, regardless of what Zerg really looked like. The movie is the movie, and they didn't make the toy to look like that. And I don't understand that. Um, and I, was, I asked the question, but why would the toy be voiced by a different person who has a better voice than the person who did it in the movie? I don't know. I, maybe if we had heard Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear first, I would think he's better, but... That happens with voice actors all the time, though. You know, you get, like, the main franchise thing, and then you get, like, all the shorts and stuff, and you can't get these A-list voice actors every time, so you gotta get the... the not the not necessarily B-list, but, like, the routine like fill in voice actors yeah your d bradley bakers and your troy bakers and your (laughs) and your uh i don't know sean bakers sean bakers (laughs) sean bakers sean bakers (laughs) mr potato head but like the the weird thing to me about like zerg's transformation is like if you weren't gonna stay if you didn't want the characters to look like they did why did you make this if you didn't even want the characters to look the same I don't know. I don't really understand this you one. You guys, go ahead. It's almost like they made a movie in 2022 trying to 
say it's a movie from 1995. Yeah, but it's... it wasn't actually from it. No, but that's... what? It's like, what if Zerg looked like he did in the movies? Would that have changed this movie at all? No. <laughs> that's what I don't understand. I don't either. You guys ready to get rid into spoilers for Lightyear? Let's get into spoilers. Spoiler warning: If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. Uh, let's just talk about Zerg as the villain. Ugh. So before we realize who Zerg is or who's in the Zerg suit, thought Zerg was pretty boring. Yeah, hundred percent. Zerg is just like alone with some robots. He, like there's nobody else there. It's just Zerg, which makes sense when they reveal who he is. But it's like I don't who who's the emperor of robots oh, yeah. who just say Zerg. Well, oh do God, they say though. Zerg because he's trying to get them to say Buzz? I didn't like. What what does that even mean? Like, yeah, no, they they can't say Buzz apparently, so they say Zerg instead. I guess that's spoiler for who Zerg is. But well, we're in spoilers well, we're in now. Spoilers. Let's just let's just put it out there. Zerg is old Buzz Lightyear, which when he stepped out, I was like, what is going? He just like, that was one animation that did not work no. at all. He's just like oddly proportioned. <laughs> it just the doesn't size, look... But his body was like emaciated. Also, well, they they say the line where he's like, oh my god, dad. Which, first of all, you can't tell the difference between you and your father. <laughs> like... <laughs> Was your father just slightly older you? There's no difference. <laughs> and, and, but second of all, like in, in Toy Story 2, Zerg was his father. So why did they change that? <laughs> they, they clearly called back to it. So I don't understand. I, I don't know. I was like... Buzz Lightyear is already kind of an odd-looking person as it is. Like, do you know anybody who actually looks like Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> so for them to make him elderly was just off-putting. Very. And then... so also, it, oh, Go ahead. Are you explaining more about the old Buzz, or...? Yeah. Okay, I'll let you go, and then I'll... So his motivation is that... And you guys are going to have to help me out with this, because this went zoom over my head the first time they said it. When Buzz was doing, like, his loop around, you know, he's doing these four-minute intervals or whatever, and it's four years down on the planet, which I thought was a pretty good sequence when we see sort of, like, the progression of Alicia's life. Um, that was my favorite part of the movie. But as he's doing that, somewhere along the way... They're split off into two buzzes. Could either of you explain how that happened to me? No, I have no idea why there were two. Like, that's not how time travel. What? Like, they didn't establish that at all. They just wanted you to accept the fact that at some point he went back in time, so now there's two of them. But what? That what? <laughs> no, there's. There was. No, I think the old buzz was like, he went and kept going, kept going until he got old. But then he finally figured out time so he travel came or something. Back. So then he went back to stop. Needed more fuel. I, so sorry, if he I goes back again, oh, oh, he only—that's right. He only had fuel to go back so far. <laughs> so if, if he, 
what if he went back too far, happen. like a, a year later, and they still haven't perfected that fuel? What is he gonna do? Wait. But like all, I I don't understand why he needed to create a robot army. Why couldn't he just be like, hey, I can get us back. I just need this fuel. And also, so if they go back again, there's gonna be three buzzes now that are gonna be in the the, the starting timeline. <laughs> I, I thought this I was know. such a dumb idea for a plot. Like, why would you take like the Alicia scenes and the buzz scenes were good. Why did you do that four year thing, which was such a dumb plot in the first place? Of like in, the time dilation, interstellar yeah. stolen. I I, plot line. I I felt like four years had gone yeah. by after watching this. Maybe movie. this is explained, but it begs the question: if that's really his motivation, is to get back to the place where he started, because so he could like have his own life or whatever. Why is he in this large robot costume? Yeah, Why is he Zerg? So Why isn't he just like I'm old Buzz, making a time machine? And why can't he just be that? Why does he have to have a robot army? Well, that's what I'm wondering. What did the robot army have to do with anything? I don't understand. Well, weren't weren't they looking for some ship part or something like that? They're looking for the fuel. Yeah. More fuel, but what is the robot army? Did he did he have to time travel through the robot? I I don't really know. <laughs> Also, speaking of old Buzz, I, I think I said this to you guys when we first got out of there. It's like, that could have easily fixed the Tim Allen situation. And it should they have. they had just cast him as old Buzz. <laughs> and then that way, Patricia Heaton would be satisfied. Let's leave Patricia no Heaton castration. alone. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's kind of an interesting story, I guess. It's a bit of a, I don't know, maybe an ego trip for old Buzz to like want to get rid of all the things that other people had accomplished right that would erase um that would erase izzy who is alicia's granddaughter i don't it just didn't work for me and then it only got more boring from there and then they did the worst post-credits performance that i've ever seen in my life god no but like old buzz was like the epitome of oh well i had to suffer through my life so everyone else should have to suffer too yeah, yeah, pretty much like that. It's a good way to sum it up. Let's talk about this post-credits thing. Well, can I just mention this buzz plan at this point? Like, it, it, the stakes of this were so stupid. Now they've been living there for like 40 years. So what is it? What, what does it matter if they get back? This is their life now. And I get that's that was Buzz's realization, but like it was so lame. Like I didn't care about the mission at that point because like now it's that's why I thought the time thing was stupid. Now they're established. Not, like you, you, you lost your chance. So I was I like, I don't really care if you find. It. Like I didn't care about him finding the fuel because you know you, they you've they've now been there thirty plus years or whatever, or sixty two I think Sox says before he actually solves it. So they've been there sixty years. So I don't think you're bringing anyone back that really cares. They've been gone for sixty years. I don't think they're like I can't wait to get back to Earth <laughs> or wherever. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I, I thought know. it was such a bizarre plot line. Like, there were no stakes yeah. whatsoever. No, I it, for being a space movie with so much possibility, it's all it's so empty, just empty. Yeah, <laughs> I know there are certain bug creatures and there's you know different characters. We got 
Mo, we got Darby. I just, I did not care, and I that wanted was, to care. That was the old lady's name, Darby? I guess so. I, I also know didn't know what their names were <laughs> until the end when I read them at the credits. <laughs> Actually, I, I didn't know Mo either, who am I kidding? I just knew I just knew that it was Taika Waititi. Yeah. It it was all fine. The And then we get to the end, and they don't let you go is the unfortunate thing. Because we got there, and we're like, oh, we're ready to walk out of this theater. And they're like, nope. <laughs> this, this is the first post credit scene where a bug flies into an electric field. And that's that's what happens. Is that what it sounds like? Yeah, and then that's what you get for but waiting. We did, we did get a uh, quite a reaction from the crowd at our show. <laughs> I don't even remember what happened. No, the either. guy that screamed "f that guy." Oh yes, that's, <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. For no, for no reason. He wasn't even that, like, villainous. <laughs> and then the second one is, like, the robot who's still going on about its mapping plan. That was kind of funny, I guess. That was such a waste of a character. Like, you had this gun-toting robot. I was like, this could be a comic character. And they're like, ah, oh, no, he's just going to be at a map for the movie. <laughs> and then the worst, the worst, way after the credits, Zerg's floating in space. His eyes are closed. We have to spend seven seconds of our lives staring at, Zer- staring at Zerg's eyes closed. I wonder what's going to happen. And then they open. Which, again, maybe I'm being a jerk because this is for kids. No, no kids stayed that. No kids stayed to that screen. Right, fair enough. No yeah. parent kept their kid no, there. That was, and that, that was worse than the one at the end of the Batman. And that one was pretty freaking egregious, too. But also, like, why is Zerg... I understand, like, old Buzz's plan was antagonistic to Buzz and to all his friends, but, like, again, why is Zerg, like, this evil villain guy? We know who he is. We know what he wants. It's not great, but it's not like, oh, God, Zerg. Everybody quiver. I I don't know. Yeah, he was very menacing after (laughs) they revealed who it was. So why do we care he's okay? (laughs) He's just going to keep tricking Buzz into thinking that he's his dad and manipulate him that way. That is true. I I can kind of understand it because whenever you see a cartoon, it's always like if you see a, a dad when they're young, they always just look like the main character if it's a boy. Fair enough. So it makes sense in that universe, I guess. the carbon copy of yeah. All right, you guys. Any final thoughts on Lightyear? No, that, that's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. No, no more thoughts from this point on of my life of this. Right. Yeah. All right. So we are gonna move on and list our top three Pixar movies after a brief word from our podcast friends. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think. Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shield for Radio Shack. 
when Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. All right, we're back talking about Pixar, studio that changed animation forever a couple of decades ago. What are you guys' thoughts on Pixar in general? How does it make you feel? What's your history with it? Matt, what do you think? Pixar has basically been like a staple of my movie-going experience since my childhood. Um, I mean, Toy Story came out the year I was born. Um, definitely, what, what's the opposite of dating myself? I mean, I guess I'm still dating myself, but not like for being old by saying that oh i i thought you meant the other form of dating and i'm like i breaking (laughs) up with yourself i don't know um yeah so uh i've basically just it's always been a thing in my life Uh, especially in when i'm when i was a kid i've seen several of the movies on my top five list in theaters when they came out with like my family either my my dad or with my 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 uh, siblings and it's just it's it's always it's just i mean it's always a nostalgia trip to go back to these movies and the animation segment like they just continuously get better with each movie for the most part even if it's even if the story might be lacking the animation is always on point it's consistent at least with like the main like theatrically released ones and, like, I just, I can't gush about Pixar enough. Yeah, I think, like you said, for for me and for many others, uh, especially the time that we grew up in, Pixar, just, like, unspeakably integral to the formation of my imagination and how I thought about story and creativity. I, I can't say enough about how much I love the films. I would like to do an entire series on Pixar, like I said, They've always combined heartbreaking, funny, really like joyous thrill rides with the cutting edge of CG animation of the day. But they practically invented CG. Uh, Toy Story was the first completely computer animated movie. And the characters and settings make up these little worlds in two hours, but they don't shy away from some darker aspects of life and childhood and particularly growing up. Tyler, what's your relationship? So, I mean, Toy Story, their first major film, came out the year before I was born. So, I mean, this they've been around since I've been alive. And, I mean, I yeah. grew up watching all their movies. I have such a close relationship as a kid with them that, like, it kind of pains me when I see a bad movie from them. Like, yeah. I'm like, I, I see them through this, like, this almost untouchable thing. Like, they're, they're, they're gods in the movies. Like, I, I love so much of their work that, like, when I see a bad movie, I'm just like, there's no way that's Pixar. So that kind of like colors my opinions of their movie. Like if, if like I saw a movie like Lightyear through another animation studio, I'd be like, yeah, this is merits. But when it's Pixar, I just kind of hold them to a higher standard. That like yeah. they they've had so many good movies, so many great films that like this one just feels so off putting to me that that this came from them, especially with a character like Buzz Lightyear, who I loved as a kid. That was one of my favorite characters from the from watching Toy Story 2 and 3 and 1 when I watched it. I didn't see it when it came out, obviously. but um, So it, it definitely just kind of feels like... I, I, I feel stronger about Pixar films than like just 
regular animated films, even regular films. Yeah, I not to belabor our dislike of of Lightyear, but you know what you said sparks some sparked one of my other thoughts is that I like that they've taken risk and they've taken not risk, but like they've developed and they've been fresh in the last few years with some of their other movies. And I like creative risk, but like Lightyear was not a creative risk and failure. It just seemed like a bleh choice and that wasn't that good. No, and that's the thing I like about Pixar is that a lot of it, their their sequels are usually not the greatest. So I like that they do create new films. Like they they do new things. They don't just stick with constantly doing the same things. Yeah, I totally agree. Matt, why don't you hear this with your number three? Well, first thing I want to say is I, I do agree with Tyler that, you know, it pains me to see a, a bad movie from Pixar. Like, I had that reaction when I saw Planes. I was like, there's no way that's Pixar. And it wasn't. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> Thank the Lord. As much as it pains me to do this, before I get to my number three, I want to give an honorable mention to all the Toy Story movies. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, if I didn't just break off the series and kind of give them their own special spot, they probably would have taken up all top three of my movies. Mm. So I'm just going to kind of like break that off and just give a quick special shout out. Like, the Toy Story movies are absolutely fantastic. A special nod to three. Toy Story 3 is absolutely my favorite Toy Story movie. Mm-hmm. Um... But my actual number three, I gotta go with Monsters, Inc. Love it. That is one of the earliest movies I can remember seeing in theaters. I saw it with my dad. A um, little anecdote. Uh, I think, I want to say, not to get too morbid about uh, talking about Pixar movies, but I believe, as the story goes, my dad brought me to see that movie on the day that Dale Earnhardt crashed and passed away. Oh. Like, we were, like... He actually, like, recorded that race on VHS before, obviously, he didn't know it was going to happen, but before it happened. So, like, it was kind of, a, kind of a weird coincidence, but it always kind of just sticks in my head, like, that, that that was the day that I saw Monsters, Inc. Yeah. That's right. Tyler, what's your number three? Uh, I couldn't come up with a flat number three, so I picked two. Uh... One Boo. is Toy Story 2. <laughs> One is Toy Story 2. Uh, and the other is Finding Nemo. Uh, Toy Story 2 was the the Toy Story that I kind of saw first. Because, you know, as a kid, that was the one that came to VHS around the time I was... So I saw that first before Toy Story. Um, so I, I loved Toy Story 2. I thought it was incredible. It's insane that, like, a sequel was that good. Um, I, I was kind of trying to debate whether I like Toy Story more, but like that kind of won out. Spoiler alert for the <laughs> list here. Um, but in Finding Nemo, I mean, that that is just one of my favorite childhood movies. I, I saw that in theaters, I think, like two or three times. I liked it yeah. so much as a kid. So I got to give that shout out. I haven't seen it in a while. I got to rewatch it again, see if it's still... But I, I'm kind of scared to see if no, I, I don't no, like it. No, watch it. It's so good. <laughs> is it? All right, I'm pumping. Yeah. Yeah, but... It's been a few years, but definitely going to give it a watch again. All right, my number three is Ratatouille. This is one of the more gets better with age Pixar movies. <laughs> to animate food 
to look so sumptuous and to pop off the screen is just incredible. The choreography is probably the most complicated and some of the best that the studio has done. Every movement in the kitchen, every time Remy is throwing Linguini around the kitchen, it has multiple villains who play out very differently, which is not something that a lot of movies can pull off, but this one does. Most importantly, it's just like it's a celebration of food, of the craft, care, and joy that goes into feeding people. You know, it talks, it's a comment on criticism itself, what criticism can do and its limits. And like on the human need to create things beyond basic necessity, right? That's something Remy is so wowed by is that like we don't just eat to survive. We create something beautiful in all our sensory experiences. Uh, it also has one of the deepest lines in any movie that I've ever heard. This is when Remy's dad is showing him all the dead rats in Paris and tells him that that's why things are the way they are between rats and humans. Um, and Remy says, change is nature, dad, the part that we can influence. And it starts when we decide. What a way to say that the world is made up of our choices and it's within our power and in our hands to correct whatever needs to be corrected and to do the right thing. Love it. Love Ratatouille. Matt, what's your number two? I want to say I also love Ratatouille because it is... It, I, I will never not think of Rakakuni after seeing everything everywhere all at once when I think of Ratatouille. Mm -hmm. And like they're just fully intertwined. Like Those two movies are fully fully like connected to me and in my brain from now on because of because of that line and it's just my number two is the incredibles another one i saw pretty early on i saw it in theaters i believe i saw it in theaters more than once hmm. a great like superhero team up movie you got craig t nelson you got everybody else that was in it uh great you know that Superhero family. They they did a better superhero family than the Fantastic Four that came out around that time for sure. Yeah. Uh, Both with people who have stretchy powers. <laughs> as a kid, I had a crush on Violet. I gotta be honest. Understandable. Even though she's animated and like not real, I don't know. I just, I I feel like, you know what? A lot of the, <laughs> I feel like I got my taste in women from a lot of the animation of my childhood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The more I think about it, like like uh, Sam from Danny Phantoms, another good example there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, just... I haven't thought about Danny Phantom. <laughs> How do you not think about Danny Phantom? Like, because I can't see him. He's a phantom. <laughs> I'm just gonna go ghost here and let Tyler go, cause. All right, I'll take over. <laughs> I thought. Uh, all right my number two is wally uh Ooh. i i absolutely loved wally um it's it, it it starts with like this large sequence of like almost no dialogue um and like when i first watched it, i'm like wow this is bizarre and all this but like you end up getting like this it's for a ch children's animated movie you get such insane topics put in and like such a good take on them there's like a overall message of hope through it um, I, I love the um, the uh, I guess romance kind of between Eve and Wally yeah. is incredible. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, this is one of the ones that I saw when I was more grown up. So like this is just kind of like 
a continuation of Pixar having captured my heart. And like this movie had so much to say and, and for such an animated movie to pull that off so well, it's incredible. And I, I I'm in awe. Like I, I watched it recently, probably a couple months back and I was just blown away again. And I'm like, I can't believe like this movie was done like by Pixar as an animated movie. Like it's so good. And I love it. And it's got such topical, um, I guess topics. <laughs> it sounds dumb, yeah. but like so much current events kind of stuff that like, the fears of like global risk and like you know humans becoming almost too lazy because of everything being done for them and like it, it's just an incredible message of like we can get over this we can get past this even when it's at its most dire and i just i just love this movie so much yeah it's it's a romance it's a slapstick movie it's almost like a ballet at parts it's so like beautifully crafted also one of those that like Considering all the different elements of it, you know, you have like the people who are all super large because they don't ever move and you have Fred Willard like in person on recording. It's one of those things that like they could have gotten away from the movie and it could have become like a little too silly or something, but it doesn't. It all works Mm -hmm. perfectly. Whereas, I don't know, something like, and this is still a really good movie, but something like Up where like the different elements of like the bird and the talking dogs and the adventuring and the float like n- they never like quite a hundred percent came together for me um but i'm not here to insult up up still really good my number two is finding nemo this is one of the movies that loomed largest over my movie brain over the movie world when i was a kid you're just like I'm in this small little theater the first time I saw it and it was just like I was underwater the whole time. Mm. It's one of those that when I watch it I feel like I'm I'm at home. There are only a certain number of movies that do that and Finding Nemo is one of them. I've said on the show numerous times about how much I love the ocean and marine life. It was such an achievement for them to animate water and the movement of water and fish in the way that they did. It's just this aquatic odyssey filled with so many incredible set pieces, characters. It completely covers the complications on both sides of the parent-children relationships. In a lot of movies, you kind of only get one of those perspectives, but in this you get both. It's about being daring. It's about adventure, about feeling connected to everything around you. The fact that P. Sherman 42 Wallaby Way Sydney is just on the tip of so many people's tongues is a testament to the legacy. The movie is completely magical. They just made every right decision with Finding Nemo. I love it so much. All right, Matt, what's your number one? Well, I'm really glad you just went off and gushed about Finding Nemo because that's actually my number one, and you, I couldn't have said any of that better myself. Um, I do want to give a special nod to the short that aired before Finding Nemo. Um, I believe the, 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 snow globe? the snow globe one. I can't remember the name of it. Um, like that that song and like that short always just like sticks in my brain. Um, it's called called Knickknack. Knickknack. Yes, yes, I love it. Another one that has a very very strong nostalgia nostalgia bond with me. Um, I remember seeing that with my siblings in theaters. It's just one of those like. Memories it just brings back childhood and just when things were just simple and you could just go 
see an animated movie and yeah I couldn't have said I couldn't have said it better myself Mike Tyler what's your number one Pixar movie my number one is the original Toy Story nice. uh, I've probably seen this movie more than almost every other movie I've watched this movie so many times a huge part of my childhood um, I like I said I love Buzz Lightyear I used to have everything all my clothes were Buzz Lightyear themed as a kid I used to have like several like Buzz Lightyear action figures I, I love Buzz Lightyear so um, uh, this really hurt when Lightyear was as, <laughs> as mediocre as it was oh yeah but uh, so like I mean this one I always I, I always think of the scene where he's like you're flying <laughs> like I was like my heart warms up at that like every time I watch it I just I get the same happiness I got as a kid when I first watched that. So, I mean, that's just one that... It, it, it might not be their best movie, but it's it, for me, it's it always will hold that place in, the, in my heart. When Buzz <laughs> says to Woody, and I, I, I might botch this, but he was like, you're one sick, sad little man. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like, who would think to include that in a child's movie? But it's so funny. <laughs> But there's also another quote that I quote uh, randomly. It's, there's a snake in my boot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, apropos of nothing. But so, I love that line. <laughs> so like, quite, or uh, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say the other one that I, I love is when he's when uh, uh, he's wearing the hat. And he's like, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> oh, the shark. The shark. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Could, that's funny. So, would you have rathered a a Woody? origin movie than Lightyear or would you have just rathered a better Lightyear movie I would have rathered a better Lightyear movie absolutely um, I don't know what you can do with Woody <laughs> do you think that if they had made a Woody movie they would have had the gall to replace Tom Hanks yeah it would have been Woody Harrelson <laughs> <laughs> no it would have been Tim uh, Allen get Tim Allen to play <laughs> just switch roles <laughs> They're canceling Tom Hanks. No, get Chet Hanks to do it. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's not touch that one. Uh, my number one Pixar movie is a perfect movie, and that is Monsters, Inc. It is so hilarious, so touching, such a unique world that it doesn't take anything to buy into it. You're, you're there for one minute, and you get it. The voice cast is perfect. John Goodman, Billy Crystal, as the one and only Mike Wazowski, the funniest character name of all time. They were in a meeting. Mike Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> They're in a meeting, and they say, we've got a green one-eyed monster, short, squat, skinny limbs. What do we call him? Hmm. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> Uh, Mary Gibbs is Boo, Steve Buscemi playing one of Pixar's greatest villains, Randall. This is the ultimate you get more bees with honey than vinegar story. It's the most fun plea for kindness, for making hard changes and choices to do the right thing, to reevaluate what you have based your life on and change tracks even if it's difficult it has such an exciting momentum so many inventive creatures one of the best movie friendships that there's ever been between Sully and Mike probably the best Pixar song if I didn't have you which Goodman and Crystal sing together that song did win the Oscar 
And Mike has a small monster teddy bear named Little Mikey, which is perfect. Everything about this, all the little details, the the laughing being more powerful than the screaming. I love Monsters, Inc. Uh, so much. Is it is it because his name is Mike, too? That is exactly why. Well, <laughs> no, because then it, it takes me out of the running for Greatest Mike, which there are a lot of people I that mean, do. I mean, but... hey, close second. Can I just can I just go on a tangent here to just say I love John Goodman and he's so underrated. Under just in general, underrated or underappreciated. Yes, I love John Goodman. I feel like underappreciated yes. is the better word for it. Do you think he deserved better than the Roseanne finale? Yes. <laughs> that was always so weird. <laughs> All right. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts on Pixar? I too would absolutely like to do a full series on this at some point. I mean, there's only so much we can touch on in the amount of time that we have right now for this episode, so I would love to do a deep dive on more of these. If we do a full series, we could go for for long and specific on on as many topics as you guys want. And if you're interested in something like that, then you should please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com rate and review on your favorite podcast platform apple podcast spotify if you're not into emailing that's cool because you can send us a message and follow us on twitter and instagram at screensaverspod and our facebook is silver screen savers podcast matt where can you be found online you can find me over at maddie x sturds s-t-u-r-d-z that's on instagram twitter and letterboxd tyler find me on instagram and twitter at tyler sutkus you can find me on letterboxd at tyler 96 and i am on instagram and twitter at michael underscore gallet and on letterboxd at m gallet well thank you all so much for listening uh hopefully we can do that pixar series if we get enough feedback and we'll see you next time take it away tyler stay down to bone Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sutkiss, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.